0: Welcome back friends, Bill Creasy here with Monday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. As we return to our story of King David today, David is firmly in charge of the kingship. He's built his palace in Jerusalem, all 12 tribes have coalesced around him, and David has moved the Ark of the Covenant, a visible sign of God's blessing upon his kingship into the courtyard of the palace. It's a rainy, wintry night in Jerusalem, and David is standing on the balcony of his palace, looking down over the courtyard. The rain is pouring down, and the Ark of the Covenant is there in the courtyard in a tent, out in the rain. And we enter 2 Samuel chapter 7, we read... After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent out there in the rain. Nathan stroked his beard and he replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. So that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? (laughs) I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this very day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Remember when Moses met God in a burning bush on the backside of the desert? No, put God in a box? I don't think so. He continues, Wherever I've moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, with whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. I was with you when you were on the run as an outlaw working for the Philistines I was with you in the caves of Engedi when Saul was hunting you down. I was with you the whole time. And now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them any more, as they have done. At the beginning, and have continued to do ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. So the Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you. Now, isn't that just like God? David wanted to build God a house. And God said, no, no, I don't need a house. But tell you what, I'm going to build one for you. (laughs) I love that. God continues, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body. He will be a biological descendant of David. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Well, Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Now, if you were David, what in the world would you say to this? What an enormous gift to David. Now, David's not a perfect man by any means. David is a magnificent warrior. David is, in a very fundamental sense, a stone-cold killer. But David is a man of God. In all his flaws, he is fully human, which I think makes him so attractive to so many of us. So if you were David, how would you respond to God's revelation? King David went in and he sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O Sovereign Lord? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word. And according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. David is speechless. He's in awe. How great you are, O Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. And there is no God but you, as we've heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel? the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever and you, O Lord, have become their God. Now that's an important thing to note. God did not choose the Jews. There were no Jews to choose. God chose Abraham, and from Abraham, God built the Jews as a unique people, a covenant people, who were to be a light to the nations. No one will ever replace Israel in God's eyes. Oh, as he said with David, when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with the floggings inflicted by men, but my love will never be taken away from him. That's how God thinks of Israel. To this very day, think about it. The nation Israel was born from Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to the 12 boys who founded the 12 tribes of Israel. Abraham dates from around two thousand. BC that's 4000 years ago the israelites have been god's chosen people to play a unique role in the plan of redemption and even today after losing their nation to the assyrians in 722 the babylonians in 586. after losing their nation to the Romans in A.D. 70, being in exile scattered across the entire world from A.D. 70 all the way to May 14, 1948, and yet have retained their identity. The Jews are less than one-tenth of one percent of the world's population. Scattered across the world, any other group of people who emigrate to a foreign nation will assimilate into that foreign nation within three to four generations, fully assimilated. But the Jews did not. Even today, the Jews have their own identity. And after May 14, 1948, they have their own nation, the nation of Israel, which we've visited many times. My last teaching tour there was my 63rd teaching tour. Israel is unique. Jerusalem is unique. Of all the cities in the world, it is unique. And David continues, And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. And then men will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. O oh, Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O oh, sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O Sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Second Samuel chapter 7, The Davidic Covenant. The covenant God made with David an unconditional, irrevocable covenant. The last time God did that was with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. The Abrahamic covenant, an unconditional, irrevocable covenant. The door of salvation swings on those two hinges, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. David is utterly overwhelmed at God's graciousness. So David wakes up in the morning and we read in chapter 8 in the course of time David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. He took Mepheg from control of the Philistines. David defeated the Philistines. He certainly knew how. David had worked for Achish king of Gath as a mercenary for 10 years. He knew Philistine tactics and strategies. Nobody could beat the Philistines. But David knew precisely how to do it, and he did it rather quickly. David also defeated the Moabites. He made them lie down on the ground and measured them off with a length of cord. Every two lengths of them were put to death, and the third length was allowed to live. So the Moabites became subject to David and brought tribute. Now That sounds rather harsh to us in our modern day times, but it was standard fare in ancient warfare. To decimate the enemy didn't mean to obliterate them. It meant to take all the captive soldiers, the POWs, line them up, count them off by 10, and every 10th man was put to death. That's being decimated, every tenth man killed. Here, David measures them out with a length of cord, and every two lengths were put to death, the third was allowed to live. He doesn't decimate them. He depletes them by two-thirds. Moreover, David fought Hadadezer, son of Rahab, king of Zobah, when he went out to restore his control along the Euphrates River. David captured a thousand of his chariots, seven thousand charioteers, and twenty thousand foot soldiers. He hamstrung all but a hundred of the chariot horses, thus making them unable to pull a chariot. He crippled them. And when the Aramaeans of Damascus came to seek Hadadez, to help Hadadazer, king of Zobah, David struck down twenty-two thousand of them. He put garrisons in the Aramaean kingdom of Damascus, and the Aramaeans became subject to him and brought tribute. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David took the gold shields that belonged to the officers of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. From Teba and Bukhthai, towns that belonged to Hadadezer, King David took a great quantity of bronze When Tohu, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hadadezer, he sent his son Joram to King David to greet him and congratulate him on his victory in battle over Hadadezer, who had been at war with Tohu. Joram brought with him articles of silver and gold and bronze. King David dedicated these articles to the Lord, as he had done with the silver and gold from all the nations he had had subdued. Edom and Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, and Amalek. He also dedicated the plunder taken from Hadadazer, son of Rahab, king of Zobah. And David became famous after he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt, down by the Salt Dead Sea. He put garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became subject to David. The Lord gave David great victory Wherever he went. Now, this is a very enlightening chapter. David has become king. He's consolidated power. He's gained the loyalty of the 12 tribes. And we noted early on in our study that if you want to control the power and wealth of the ancient world, you had to control the land bridge that linked Europe, Asia, and Africa. That land bridge on which Israel sits today. There were two major international trade routes that left Egypt and went up to Damascus, crossing the land bridge. The first was the Via Maris, leaving Egypt and paralleling the Mediterranean coast, cutting in through the Jezreel Valley, parallel to the Sea of Galilee, and then on up to Damascus. The second was the King's Highway, leaving Egypt, cutting across the Sinai, and running north through the Eastern mountain range, up to Damascus. Those two international trade routes, two freeways, if you will, were connected by three west to east linking roads. When we read here in 2 Samuel chapter 8, the battles that David fought, indeed, all the battles that David will fight are to control strategic locations on those trade routes, to control the trade routes linking Europe, Asia, and Africa. The land routes. Now later, David will make a treaty with Hiram, king of Tyre, up north on the Mediterranean, a deep water port. And through the treaty with Hiram, reinforced by David's son Solomon, he will also control the maritime trade routes. There's strategy in what David's doing, and he did it very effectively. So David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. Joab, son of Zeriah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Elihud, was recorder. Zadok, son of Ahitab, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were priests. Saraiah was secretary. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was over the Karathites and Pelathites, the mercenaries and David's sons were royal advisors. My favorite character in this list of David's key men is Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a very tough character who was with David from the very start when he was an outlaw on the run. Benaiah is over the Carathites and Pelathites, the mercenaries that were with David from the beginning. This is David's elite strike force. This is SEAL Team 6 of David's men. Now David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now that sounds like a very nice thing. Is there anyone left to whom I might show kindness? But what David's really asking is, is there anyone left of the house of Saul who might be a threat to me? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? You are a servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, Well, there is still a son of Jonathan a son of Jonathan, grandson to King Saul, Prince Jonathan, heir to the throne? Now that would be a threat. There's still a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, He's at the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. He's in hiding. He's being protected. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. Imagine David's men, perhaps Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and the mercenaries, arriving at Lodabar, and taking off Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Much as David's men took his first wife, Michael, from her current husband, little Paltiel. David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Mekir, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, you're a servant, he replied. His voice quavering, looking down in fear. David said to him, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all. All the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. I'll restore all the land that belonged to Saul, that is, the revenues coming from the farmland belonging to King Saul will come to you, and you will always eat at my table. Now you might think, well, how nice. Mephibosheth will become part of the family. But as we learn in the movie, The Godfather, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. By living in David's palace, by always eating at David's table, David will keep an eye on Mephibosheth. He won't be off in hiding in low Debar where plots can develop. He'll be there in the palace under close watch. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth expected to be killed by David. Perhaps like that young Amalekite who thought he was turning over the crown to David, and he suddenly lost his head. And the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and he said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops, so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord, the king, commands his servant to do. So sure enough, Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So yes, David did take care of Mephibosheth, but he also kept a close eye on a potential enemy, perhaps someone who could very easily be turned. A young man, crippled in both feet, could easily fall prey to vicious political maneuvering. Now Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, because he always ate at the king's table. Oh, and by the way, he was crippled in both So, 2 Samuel chapter 9, David makes good on the promise that he made to Jonathan I will always take care of your family. If anything happens to you, I will take care of your family. And David does. But David also kept a close eye on Mephibosheth. So, in the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanun succeeded him as king. And David thought, I'll show kindness to Hanan, son of Nachash, just as his father showed kindness to me. Remember? Nachash, the snake of Ammon. Back in David's day as a mercenary, he ran with a pretty tough crowd. And Nachash was among the toughest, the snake of Ammon. Well, Nahash died. David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanan concerning his father. He was a friend of mine. But when David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite nobles said to Hanan their lord, Do you think David is honoring your father by sending men to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanun seized David's men, shaved off half of each man's beard, the right side of their face, cut off the garments, their garments in the middle of the buttocks, and sent them away. That is a gross insult, a man's beard shows his manliness, his manhood. Shave off half of it and make him a butt of jokes. And speaking of butts, they all went home with their naked butts sticking out. When David was told this, Oh, this, you do not want to do this to David's men. When David was told what happened, he sent messengers to meet the men. They were greatly humiliated. And the king said, stay at Jericho till your beards have grown, and then come back. Nachash, the snake of Ammon. Now why might Hanan think that David was looking to do something there? Because the city is right on the king's highway, one of the main, the main international trade route on the east. But when the Ammonites realized that they had become a stench in David's nostrils, they hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth, Rohab, and Zobah, as well as the king of Maacah, with 1,000 men, and also 12,000 men from Tob. On hearing this, David sent Joab out with the entire army of fighting men. The Ammonites came out and drew up in battle formation at the entrance to their city, while the Arameans of Zobah and Rahab and the men of Tob and Maacah were by themselves in the open country. Joab saw that there were battle lines in front of him and behind him. So he selected some of the best troops in Israel and deployed them against the Arameans. He put the rest of the men under command of Abishai, his brother, and deployed them against the Ammonites. Joab said, If the Ammonites are too strong for me, then you come to my rescue. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I'll come rescue you. We'll split our forces." Now be strong, fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God, and the Lord will do what is good in his sight. So then Joab and the troops with him advanced to fight the Arameans, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Arameans were fleeing, they fled before Abishai, and they went inside the city. So Joab returned from fighting the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. And after the Ammonites saw that they had been routed by Israel, they regrouped. Hadadazer and the Aramaeans brought from beyond the river. They went to Helam with Shobah, the commander of Hadadazer's army, leading them. And when David was told of this, he gathered all Israel, crossed the Jordan, and went to Helam. The Aramaeans formed their battle lines to meet David and fought against him, but they fled before Israel, and David killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also struck down Shobach, the commander of their army, and he died there. When all the kings who were vassals of Hadadezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. So the Aramaeans were afraid to help the Ammonites any more. So David has taken complete control of the land bridge linking Europe, Asia, and Africa. He has extended his influence all the way up in and through Syria, all the way down to Egypt, and all the way past the Eastern Mountain Range. He's consolidated his power, and now there is peace in every corner of the kingdom. David has gotten the job done. Now, what will happen next? What happens to a young man? Remember, David was 30 when he became king. He was in Hebron for seven and a half years and then Jerusalem. So David's a young man in his early to mid-40s. He's king of Israel. God has blessed him up one side and down the other. David has defeated all the surrounding enemies. He now controls the trade routes linking Europe, Asia, and Africa. And hence the money comes flowing in from the traffic on the trade routes. He has reached the peak of his success. So what might happen to such a man? Well, we'll have to wait until Wednesday to find out. Hey, thank you for being with me, friends. Keep me in your prayers as I keep you in mind. And I'm looking forward to being back with you on Wednesday with Scripture Uncovered. Bye-bye now.